Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to what is sure to be a wonderful episode of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and joining us now, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Yes, Professor. I'm looking forward to a wonderful episode as well. And you know what we're going to do this week? We're going to get back into our very popular uh, top 10 reasons and this week, we're going to give our top 10 reasons why we love Paul Orndorff. And so, uh, we're both very stoked about this episode. Yes, very much. Um, man, looking very, very forward to it. Uh, let me get some house cleaning out of the way, if you don't mind. Sure thing. Um, August the 7th in Beckley, West Virginia, I will be in Shane Storm's Corner against Jerry the King Lawler. And Dennis Condry is coming in as an enforcer. Now, look, ASW, Gary Dameron, he's got a great, great wrestling promotion up in West Virginia. And the law offices of New and Taylor and Associates, Stephen P. New, everyone knows who he is. Uh, he's one of the big sponsors of this show. Where we're looking forward to the Bash at Beckley um, next August the 7th. So just a couple weeks away. I uh, hope the pre-sales are going good. And the list of stars that will be there is incredible. Incredible. Also, I want to send a shout out to my main man, Earl. And Joe, I'm going to be um, at the Ashland Town Center at the Time Warp, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, it's just a really cool place, Jeremy. You would dig this place big time, man. It's right up the Geekish Casters Alley, I'm telling you. But I'm going to be there Saturday, August the 14th from 5 until 7 p.m. at the Ashland Town Center location. That's the big mall right down in Ashland. Come down, get an autograph. I might even tell you a few stories from the road, and I'll have some books for sale then. So uh, I got those two appearances. I've got some other stuff coming up that I'm looking forward to, but that's kind of want to get those out there. From my understanding, this show in Beckley's got a good, good pre-sale, and so again, that's August the seventh, and uh, I think I do quite well here in my hometown on August the fourteenth at the Time Warp. Uh, special word out there, Time Warp, Jeremy. I'll probably try to send you some stuff to so you can see exactly. I mean, they just got everything. They got things from baseball cards to Star Wars stuff to all kind of pro wrestlers. As a matter of fact. By the time you hear this, I'm just going to tell you what kind of company we're dealing with here. Ricky Steamboat was a guest just this past Saturday at Time Warp. And today as we're speaking, um, Tommy Dreamer and my main man Shane Douglas are down there making an appearance today. So they're bringing people in. They're making things happen. And um, that's all good with the Time Warp, FTC. Shout out to the School of Art of Grappling um, that I'm still helping out with, with uh, my man Joe over there. We got some upcoming shows again. I'll get to those dates in the future as they get booked out. But uh, that's my house cleaning for today. And um, just uh, we'll chit-chat here a minute, and we'll start our podcast with a nice little article about our man, Mr. Wonderful Paul Warndorf. Yeah, um, you know, real quick, so, just uh, just talking about your, your – um, <clears throat> Tommy Dreamer and Shane Douglas are making an appearance there on the same day. My inner Mark kind of hopes they'd start beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, man. The part of me I don't know. wants to believe, you know. Yeah. I just saw Shane a couple weeks ago. And I haven't seen Tommy for about three years. And um, 
I know Shane a little bit better than I do Tommy, but I did tell him to tell Tommy hi. But I would, um, I'd like to see them just kind of take over that mall too, and just kind of start going after yeah. each other inside the time warp. Now Earl may not like that because he's got a lot of valuable stuff down there, man. He's got a insurance. lot of valuable stuff. He's got, he's got well, insurance. yeah. But uh, the city of Ashland at the town center, man, I can just see the headlines now. That place would be going mad, man. I'm telling you. It does, I, I think I'd get over, man. Just start beating a street brawl, just beating the piss out of each other. That would get some publicity. Now, I'm telling you, that's a good idea there. So, sometimes it's fun to do the booking or to be a mark. We're all just fans, oh, you yeah, know, so yeah. that'd be fun, man. And they got some other big guys coming, stars coming in the future as well. Um, I'm just letting you in on the ones I know for sure have sold, showed up or will be showing up. But yeah, that would be pretty cool, man. Uh, anything else, Professor? Um, <laughs> no, that is pretty good. Yeah, I was just <laughs> thinking you got you got those two together, and I had watched some old ECW just a couple months ago, and those guys, yeah, just beat the living <laughs> shit out of each other. Yeah, oh man, that would be pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right, then let me. Uh, I'm gonna read you this article, okay? Yes. This from sportscasting.com. And my brother found this for me. Uh, big shout out to Jim. Uh, good looking out for me because we um, had a little weekend road trip this week with my son and my nephew. And we kind of took in a ball game. And, you know, sometimes it's good just to get away, step yeah. outside every once in a while. Sometimes outside of your own comfort zone. But, it, you know, you got to do that sometimes. But uh, he brought me, this, he sent up me this article because he knew what the topic was. And it's um, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff with a star of a college football game featuring four future Hall of Famers, Super Bowl champions, and Olympic gold medalists, and a 21-year-old Nick Saban and Sloth from Goonies. <laughs> okay? So, um <laughs> WWF just kind of skimmed through the first part. WWF announced on Monday Hall of Famer Paul Orndorff passed away at the age of 71. Number story written about a legendary career course. I'll pan over those, of course, with WrestleMania 1, with Roddy Piper took on Mr. T and Hawk Hogan, Muhammad Ali special guest referee. <clears throat> uh, but they're going to venture down a different highway of sorts here. Uh, many fans did not know that he was before he was involved in professional wrestling in the late 60s and early 70s before he stepped into the squared circle he was a talented football player played fullback and tight end at the university of tampa in the first game of his career for spartans the future mr wonderful was a star of 1972 tangerine bowl it took place in tampa uh that's not a citrus bowl by the way so um Anyway, again, I mentioned some of the people that's in there. Fast forward here. Uh, he was a multi-sports star from Brandon, Brandon, Florida. Um, he decided to stay home in, in Tampa, and that plays a factor when he does get drafted in the NFL. He, he always returned to Tampa. That seemed to be the one thing he, he wanted to do. But anyway, over the course of his career with the Spartans, Orndorff scored 21 touchdowns and amassed more than 2,000 all-purpose yards while he played fullback and tight end. 1972, he helped the independent team go 9-2, including a win over Miami, in which earned Tampa the berth in the, in the Tangerine Bowl. Uh, it was only third ever appearance by the Spartans in the school ended their program in 1975. So, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in, the, in the game, here's a picture. Paul Orndorff, John Matuzak, Jack Lambert, and Nick Saban. Okay, kind of lets you know where this is going here. Uh, 
Orndorff, uh, they beat Kent State, is who they beat. Um, kind of go through here real quickly. They had a guy named Gary Pecknell. Uh, he was a tight end. Um, let's see. He ended up coaching at Toledo and, and Missouri. Um, his roommate was Jack Lambert, who was an all-famer for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who won four Super Bowls. Okay, now Orndorff of all these people, okay? Um, let's see. Also on a team with a 21-year-old defensive back by the name of Nick Saban, who, of course, went on to become one of the greatest college football ball coaches in the history of the game. Uh, a Gerald Tinker, who was a gold medalist in a 4-by-100-meter relay in the 1972 Olympic Games, played for the Atlantic Falcons and the Packers. Well, he was, you know, he these some athletes, man. Yeah. Uh, just kind of reading out there. Okay, here we go. The coach was um, uh, uh, Hall of Famer Earl Bruce, and he. Uh, what happened? Orndorff also was going to be a, a fullback, and he had already amassed over three years a thousand yards. He was hoping to have a, have a thousand yard season uh, during his senior year, but this um, this coach uh, Earl Bruce come in and he made him split some time out at tight end, which he never had played before. So that's kind of significant of this story. So that's how he had two thousand off purpose yards, not just two thousand running yards. But uh, anyway, he was a head coach. He he became head coach at Iowa State, and then he also succeeded the legendary Woody Hayes at Ohio State in 1979, winning four big title, uh, big fit 10 title with the Buckeyes. Now, around here, Jeremy, we have a lot of Buckeye fans, okay? Are you familiar with Woody Hayes by chance? I know the name, but I'm not like, I'm not real well. He wanted to win so bad, he punched a fucking opposing player. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was his last year coaching. Well. <laughs> yeah. He reached out on the field and punched a fucking guy for the other team. And he's a grown ass man, you know. So Woody Hayes was very intense. Think Bobby Knight <laughs> throwing chairs across yes. the court and shit, you know. So anyway. Uh, one of Warndorf's teammates was defensive end John Matuzak, who we talked about this before, was a number one draft pick in a 1973 NFL pick, uh, won two Super Bowls with the Raiders, and uh, famously played this role of sloth on um, Richard Donner's 1985 cult classic, The Goonies. Okay. So uh, in a Spart- I see Spartans roster was quarterback, running back, Freddie Solomon, who uh, he trans, let's see, he transitioned to an NFL receiver and won two Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers. A lot of fucking champions, histories, athletes in this thing. Uh, Orndorff scored two touchdowns early to help uh, Tampa win 21-18. They could win over all the names and stuff, but basically when the game started, um, Orndorff caught a couple of touchdown passes. One of them was for 15 yards, and one of them was 35 yards, and um the uh, Kent State team apparently didn't uh, score in the first half. Uh, Tampa had a little bit harder time scoring in the second half, so it scored up being 21-18. Uh, but Orndorff didn't get to be the MVP, um, the quarterback was. But sometimes that shit happens, you know. But you can see just what kind of, um, you know, athlete he was. He was taken in the 12th round of the 73 draft by the New Orleans Saints. Um uh, Failed to, this says he's failed to pass, pass a physical and also um, Kansas City Chiefs. He spent one year with the Jacksonville Sharks. Now, Jeremy, I'm drawing back on this, and here's kind of where we're going to start the program. Yes. 
He played for the World Football League for the Jacksonville Sharks, but then decided to try his hand at professional wrestling, where it's been said, the rest is history. So, um, <laughs> what do you know about this World Football League and uh, Paul Orndorff's incredible career? Well, let's get a, started. So, what I know about the WFL <laughs> is that it was the World Football League, and uh, it, it encompassed almost all fifty states of the United States, and lasted for one point seven seasons, basically. Okay. Um, this this and the USFL should have been a big shining light in the sky for uh, Vince McMahon on why you don't try to start a different football league. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think anybody, including <laughs> excuse <of> me, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't think anybody had like a stellar career here. I think it was just kind of a come and go, and there probably wasn't enough money to keep it going. But I wanted right. it on the list because how many other times are we going to have the opportunity to bring up the WFL? Yes. And you told me while you're typing, <laughs> it kept trying to auto correct you to NFL. <laughs> yes. It really, really wanted to be the NFL. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, now I will say this I heard a couple other stories. Paul Warndorf told me himself um, while I was in Tampa and I, I filled in a match for him over in Georgia. He told me that uh, down there in North Albany, 106 North Albany, where the sportatorium was at, they would do a fireman carry with uh, a man on their back, run the length of the block, put the man down. The man that was in the fireman carry did push-ups. The man doing that ran with the other man in a fireman carry position did Hindu squats, turned it around and run it back the other way like 10 times for a total of like 200 Hindu squats, 200, you know, push-ups and like shitload of fireman carries, like 20, you know, 20 blocks worth. But he said it was harder than NFL camp he had been with. Now he told me that personally, but also I've heard that um, he kind of got homesick. Uh, I didn't know he, this, this article always said he, you know, didn't pass the physical, maybe a bum knee, maybe a bum shoulder. I don't know. Um, or I've also heard he just got homesick and he mm -hmm. kept returning to Tampa. And Paul was uh, married, I think, right out of high school. And while he was at University of Tampa, he was married and had a child. I think his roots were pretty much steady there. That I can see that he probably didn't want to leave home too much, you know. Yeah, uh, it seemed like he kept coming back there. Yeah. yeah. But the World Football League had a good run there, I guess. You know, so, as, as good uh, as anybody. <laughs> As anybody else did, exactly yeah. right. Uh, well, that's number ten, man, in our format. I'm, I tell you, I think some of our fans, especially our older listeners, not old old men or female listeners, I'm talking that's been with us for the last couple of years. They uh, they really dug the um, the top ten list we put out before, yeah. so I'm glad to be back into that format again. We have fun with those oh, yeah. top ten lists. Um, I think uh, the fans are really, I'll put this one out there, um, number nine, and I hate the number nine. You ever, you like, is there any particular number you just love or hate? Um, you know what? I actually really like the number nine because. I hate the number nine. Mathematically, anything you do to it, it it's just, it's still nine. You know, times two is 18, one plus eight is nine. Everything you okay. do to number nine, <laughs> it stays nine, you know. <laughs> is this the Geek of Cash or Bobby Bell podcast? Well, I was just what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you did, you did. I, I I respect that, man. I just don't know why I don't like that number nine. Maybe it's because number nine, number nine, turn me on dead man, turn me on dead man. Yeah. Could be. I don't know. Anyway, you Beatles fans will get the reference. Uh, so, okay, number nine, the robes. Maybe not the flashy, as Ric Flair, as you said, but very, very damn close, I say. <laughs> yeah. Well, they look, you know, I thought his robes looked great because they they were, they were, 
sharp looking. They were, you know, the sequins yes. and this, that, and the other kind of majestic, but they weren't, you know, fucking peacock feathers and crazy. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. They, they just look cool, you know? Yeah, I agree. They, they, they look professional, yeah. you know, not the flares were more flashy. Like you said, the peacock and butterflies and, you know, a little more extravagant, but, yes. but Paul's look kind of uh, being a reflection, reflection of the man at war. That's the way he was. He was going to the ring to fight. He had a robe on as a lot of professional boxers and wrestlers, you know, wore his completed him as a man. I'm wearing this robe and it, it meant seriousness. You know what I'm saying? They're really nice and sequenced and this and that, but they also, were, they were pretty serious. You know, he took the blue robe off. He had blue tights, you know, it's just kind of a, you know, he ran a theme there with it, that this is, you know, this is, this is my wardrobe, yeah. you know, uh, doesn't have to be flashy. This is me, Paul Orndorff, you know, yeah, and I am Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. He <laughs> struck me as, I mean, he was an intense guy, but he was kind of just a no bullshit guy. Yes. What I'd get off. Yeah, well, I think that's going to take you to number eight on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> Not trying to speed you up. No, 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 before, <laughs> no, I say it, yeah. yeah. Before we get there, though, I mean, you, you worked well, you worked with him kind of for him in a way. Yes, uh, sir, indirectly for him. Yeah. So what kind of, I mean, just what kind of guy was Paul Orndorff? I mean, what was your, what would be? Paul Orndorff was a straight shooting man. Uh, he was a good man, honest, and when I was doing my negotiations with WCW, <clears throat> uh, I actually uh, I talked to Sandy Scott. He said, who are you dealing with? And I said, um, I've been talking to Paul Orndorff. He said, if Paul Orndorff tells you, listen, he said he's a straight-shooting guy. He'll tell you like it is, Bobby. I was like, thank you, Sandy. Then I was um, – uh, things didn't the first 30 to 60 days there was some issues there we couldn't work out they weren't doing the contracts uh but i was still in contact uh via kevin sullivan with um paul orndorff Cornette calls me when he was putting some guys uh after smoky mountain shut down uh he was doing a couple shows one in cincinnati and one in um huntington west virginia it was just tv and he asked me to, you know did i want to come and do you know Make a couple hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, what it is doing TV. Wasn't that I didn't want to do TV, but I told Jimmy, I said, hey, I'm talking to Atlanta and um, they're interested in bringing me in and I'd hate to come on TV and get squashed. And he said, well, I have no control or whatever. You may be able to come in and work with Al Snow and have a tremendous match or they may squash your Sid. You know, he, I, I'm just asking if you want to do TV. And he said, who are you talking to in Atlanta? And I said, Paul. He said, Bobby, if you're talking to Paul, Listen to what Paul tells you, and I wouldn't be on our TV getting beat. <laughs> and uh, I could have used the money, but also I trusted what Cornette was telling me. Uh, and I knew if I waited out just a few more months, things were going to work out because we were that deep into, you know, contract negotiations. And I could tell Paul wasn't jerking me around. Uh, once I was there, probably about a year and a half, I flew into Atlanta, went to the office, and Paul and I sat down and had a, you know, just like Arn told me, we're two gentlemen discussing business. Um, I had been doing some stuff with Vampiro and, um, you know, he basically flat out told me like, well, we're not sure this is where, you know, if you're going to fit in for program with, with him, you know, vamp, cause you're not all tattooed up and you're not overly big, roughly the same size, you know? So, uh, but Hey, you're a good carpenter. You're doing everything we ask you to do. Um, I'd be happy where you're at, Bobby, and just keep having good matches for us. You know, uh, very honest. And um, 
like I said, straightforward. Sometimes people tell you stuff you don't want to hear. I want to hear like I'm going to be on a pay-per-view in L.A. with Vampiro. You know, who wouldn't want to hear that? Especially when I had a chemistry with Ian. Um, and I put Vamp over any time, man. He's a hell of a talent. But, uh, you know, Paul pretty much just said, we probably just don't see you filling that role. Um, I think they put him with a Japanese boy, and then he ended up getting with uh, 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 Jerry Lynn. And Jerry Lynn did a lot of karate. Jerry Lynn was a little bit taller, and he had the body, more of a bigger body, than Vamp did, and they gelled really well together. So, um, yeah, I didn't get the pay-per-view, but Paul pretty much said, you know, that's probably not going to happen for you. Uh, we've talked about it, um, and I know, you know, hey, that's just that did not happen, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was happy for Jerry because Jerry was a Florida boy, and he got a good little run out of it, pay-per-view out of it or whatever. Oh, yeah. So that's cool. But, no, good dude, man. Paul, and I tell you, you didn't hear Paul yelling and cussing, um, you know, uh, not out carousing around, anything like that. Paul was just a man's man, you know. Uh, well, so let me, he was let a man's me, man. Going off of that and continuing into number eight here. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming at no point during your negotiations did you ever feel like standing up and trying to take a swing at him. Oh, no, sir. I was sitting across the desk from him, and at one point he even dropped his glasses down and looked over him, and I used to get that look from Arn. <laughs> so, you know, when an older gentleman that you respect a lot and know can beat your ass, puts their finger on their glasses and pulls them down and look over top like, you know, you may have asked the wrong question or whatever, mm-hmm. you just sit back in that chair, and you sit up and you go, yes, sir. <laughs> I got what you said, sir. Yeah. No, I I We're just hear. two gentlemen discussing business for what you just now said. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear a couple other people weren't so fucking smart in their negotiations. Yeah, apparently not. So number um, eight is Paul was a mm-hmm. badass. So let's Paul uh, was a badass. Let's yeah. discuss. <laughs> uh, well, I guess there's a couple of little versions of some fights that he got into, or some shoots, if you will. Um, we're not here to, um, let's put this out there for any people still alive, uh, that may hear this that says, Oh, well, Bobby blaze or Jeremy Vilmer said this or whatever. The first one's just pure hearsay. That's gone around the, the loop. Uh, different people have their different versions on it, but, um, uh, Brian Blair has a version on it. Tony Atlas had a version on it. Orndorff had a version on it, as did Tommy Rich. But apparently, they're coming back from a show like in Wheeling, West Virginia, or Columbus, Ohio, somewhere up this way. I guess they have to head back to Atlanta after a show. I guess Tony and Paul get into a fight. Brian pulls the car over. Uh... Tommy Rich is screaming to, to not fight. I think he's just wanting his chicken and cold beer, you know. Hey, somebody say something about some fried chicken cold beer. You know, I don't think he wanted to stop and watch any fights. No, probably not. Um, but uh, I guess someone ended up getting their ear bit off, and I guess it was supposed to be Tony Atlas, and they ended up taking him to the hospital, and I guess he missed a few days booking. I don't know if anyone got fined, fired, or what happened, but um, – a couple of people tell a different version, but that's the most prominent version that, you know, they're out there in um, some gravels and grass and uh, fighting in the middle of fucking night. Who knows, you know, yeah. and I think maybe the police come and broke it up. I really, anyway. Yeah, so he wasn't going to back down from a good fight. No, uh, that's, mm. you know, 
Obviously, there's the famous story <clears throat> about Vader and the different. Yeah, versions. I was going to let you tell that version. Yeah. yeah. So here's the other one that's more famous because you love the flip flop access of well, this. It's just this whole thing that you know whatever whatever started it, it ends up breaking down in the shower and Paul's wearing shoes. <laughs> I'm assuming yeah. I'm assuming a towel and not much else, you know. And this is <laughs> this is after his arm had started to atrophy and everything, and fucking right. Vader just would not. Was it he wouldn't go to a meeting or he wasn't going to take the match? Yeah, he was supposed to do an interview. No, they was doing interviews, and Paul was yelling for him, hey, you know, Leon, they need you up here, you know, to do a promo. And he's just, you know, pretty much like, well, fuck you, Paul. And Paul's like, yeah, fuck me, fuck you, you know, and uh, And, boom, uh, there you go. According (laughs) to the story, he fucking, with his his bad arm, (laughs) invader right on the button. Drop mm-hmm. him to his knees, and then while wearing fucking flip flops, punted him under the jaw. Yeah, and sent him ass over tea kettle backwards onto his own heels. Yeah. yeah. Kevin Sullivan said the back of Leon's head hit the, the top of his heels, <laughs> and if if Orndorff would have had cowboy boots on, he would have killed him. Yeah. Um, Dave Penzer apologizes to to Vader saying, hey, Leon, I know what you said, but I was there and pretty much you got your ass whooped, (laughs) you know. Now, with that said, apparently a couple people said, let them work it out, let them fight, let them get over it, because he said, in all due respect, the person telling a story, Sullivan, this incident, said, um, you know, let them work it out, let them go. And um, Leon was trying to to fight back. But um, apparently... Ming steps in and says, this is over. And everyone's like, yep, it's over. Because no one wanted to fuck with Ming. (laughs) So, yeah. So apparently they both want to stop anyway. I mean, if grown men, they could have, and they're both tough. They could have killed each other. Oh, easily. So I'm sure, I'm sure Ming, um, uh, Haku being the man he is and knowing these guys have to work together and being professional and really wanting to stop the shit. He was the man to step in and say, Hey, this shit's over. Now, I'm, now I don't know if me even said it that way. I doubt it. He probably said, enough, yeah. enough, you know, and that was when they heard that, they probably went, yep, that's enough, you know, so uh, good on Ming. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, those, you know, these are just like the basic stories that make the rant. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, even when he was a younger guy, Paul Orndorff was a guy you did yep. not fuck with, you know, when right. He wasn't like Rick right. Rude. He wasn't sending his wife into the bar to get no. all fucked up and ready to run and then kind no. of whipping her asses. But you didn't fuck with Paul Orndorff. When I was living in Tampa and training, um, there was, of course, way back when, it, 88 or 89, um, uh, live when I moved to Tampa. So I guess really probably 89. So either 89 or 90, uh, the Tribune down there did a real big layout on them. And they went back into, you know, from the time he was in high school, what he had accomplished in wrestling and football. Uh, just a real nice, like, you know, one today's living maybe or uh, the celebrity, I don't know what it was. You know, they, they had went back though and done a really, and of course at this time, I think he was just going back to, um, Finishing up with UWF for Herb Abrams and uh, going back to WCW. But they did a real nice piece on them. I remember reading that going, oh, man. That, but they was talking there pretty much, you know, journalism's changed through the years. But pretty much the article was saying, you know, when this kid was in high school, you didn't fuck with him. When he went to the University of Tampa, you didn't fuck with him. He's already a man amongst boys, you know. So um, I just always remember that, reading that article and enjoying it. 
Yeah, so he he's a, he was a badass, no doubt. Number seven, I'll introduce it, and you tell us a few of the reasons why, because I know why we do. But, uh, man, we always put this at number one, it seems like, when we really like someone and we're getting them over, and we want a cheap way out with no free bird rule, and we'll say, he's so-and-so. Uh, well, this one here, we're putting this guy, we're going to put his right here at number seven. He's Paul Orndorff, man. He he's he's Paul Orndorff, and, and give us some reason there, Jeremy. Some titles, whatever. Oh yeah, well it's you know, you know just just pulling a mania. Couple, yeah, just pulling a couple quick ones here. Yeah, what he main evented the first two WrestleManias. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he is in the University of Tampa Athletic Hall of Fame class of 1986. Former NWA National uh, Heavyweight Champion three times. He was uh, PWI's Feud of the Year 1986, Match of the Year nice. 1985, Most Hated Wrestler of the Year 1986. Uh, I can tell you that's the fucking truth. Uh, yeah. And then he was ranked number 38 of 500 in PWI's 500 in 1993. Nice, nice. And I'll tell you this. I saw Bill After put up three interviews uh, maybe one in 2012 and 14 and maybe 19. So this spaced out uh, three nice little three or four minute interviews with Paul Orndorff. And Orndorff really put over the fact, because he's in the Hall of Fame, but Orndorff put over the fact that he was in that University of Tampa, that football Hall of Fame. Yeah. He had that ring on. He was really proud. And he said something about the WWE. He didn't bury him, nothing like that. Very respectful. He's, but I'm really more proud about this. He really put over that uh, football ring. He yeah. was really proud about that. And I like that. That, you know, showed you what kind of man he was. Um, you know, hey, this is what got me. My athleticism got me to where I got to. Now, you know, that people, when I was talking about his training, uh, I guess uh, one of the Briscoes is Hiro Matsuda. It's one of the Briscoes. It's Bob Roop. Um, and he's going down. There. So that's why he says, you talk about a tough fucking camp, you know. I'm trying to think of a couple others that were there when he was there uh, doing all that training. So um, and in his class uh, when he was in Tampa, you know, training out there in North Albany. It was, um, uh, the, as you you brought up the point before, the snake pit. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Eddie, um, uh, Mike Graham. Mike, no, Eddie, Eddie Graham. I'm sorry. I said Mike. Eddie Graham was there. Hero Matsuda, Bob Roop, and uh, Briscoe. Uh, so they was doing a lot of stretching. And I think Matsuda had him, don't know, I would imagine he had him do a shitload of Hindu squats. And um, maybe the exercise I was talking about, fireman carry. But anyway, he blew Paul up. Uh, and then, you know, going, in fact, I think he may have wrestled all three of those guys, like gone through Roop and uh, uh, Graham and, and, and Briscoe. Uh, story goes, you know, like, uh, then you got to Matsuda, and Matsuda was stretching. And Paul said, right then, he's like, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get that fucker. And one day he got Masuda. He got, word was, he got with Masuda. Uh, goes back to the badass and the competitive and the intensity that uh, he got him when he was fresh and it's like di- different different game, you yeah, know. Yeah. So I don't think they like got into a full shoot or nothing. But Paul let it be known, like you know, hey, I caught on to what you did to me a few months ago uh, when I was a rookie breaking in, paying my dues, initiating me, whatever. But I never forgot it. And uh, here's some here's some receipts. And now we're just two men 
and we're respecting each other. Yeah. You know, uh, that's the word I heard too. And I got a lot of these stories from my brother and from living in Tampa. And of course he lived when I was there too. Uh, just, you know, being around the business and stuff. So that's why I love sharing these kind of things, kind of, you know, some knowledge that's not on all the dirt sheets or on the internet nowadays. Yeah, so, exactly. um, so anyway, it was, it was Masuda that broke Hogan's leg too, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so hey, so and he came, came back though. Well, that's the thing. I mean, these guys, these guys really worked hard to keep fucking guys that were going to be like, "Hey, let me in, I'll be cool," and then you know, yeah, bounce out. <laughs> um, these guys really worked hard to you know fuck a dude up, and then if he comes back a second, third time, all right, I guess you're serious. Right, yeah. right. That's, that's it. Exactly right. Well, and that's the thing, you know, like you know, I, I see people bitch about modern wrestling, and. You know, I think these younger kids who are coming up all came up during a time after Vince McMahon killed kayfabe. Mm-hmm. And they get shit on for wrestling in a style that doesn't involve kayfabe, even though it was the guys ahead of them that fucking destroyed kayfabe. You know, there was yeah. no kayfabe for them you. to train into, you know. Yeah, I got uh, you. Because Hiro Mitsuda wasn't out there breaking your fucking leg when you wanted to try out. <laughs> Maybe that's what wrestling needs more of, you know? Maybe. We need more Maybe. Mitsudas and Bob Roops out there fucking making you shit your pants <laughs> and sitting you home bloody in your shitty underwear, you know? That's right, man. Hailing down a cab in your bloody underwear. That's yeah, good. no thanks. Oh, man. Uh, oh. Right. Well, let's move on here. Speaking of hard work, yes. number six, that physique. You know he had to work his ass off to look that good, man. That guy uh, was built like a brick <laughs> shit house. There is no question about it. Yeah, and man, I, just everything. I remember when he, right after his heel turn was when I was really, like, cheering for him. And we'll kind of get into more of these specifics. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, Sherry Martell was managing a guy at the AWA who was going under, like, Mr. Terrific or something similar. And the guy was, you know, muscular, but he didn't have, like, the neck development and the shoulder development and everything that Paul Orndorff had. So it made it hard for me to take that guy serious Mm -hmm. when you had Mr. Wonderful out there looking like that. Yeah. 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 Um, And kind of want a funny riff of that, though. Uh, when you go back to WWF, and I doubt that you can get by with this now, uh, some of those bully vignettes, there's a girl in the gym, and he's like this bitching her out about how, you know, he's about to use that machine. She should get her fat ass off the machine. Again, it's not politically correct, but due to the times, it was acceptable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're not even worthy of being a gym I'm in because you're breathing my air. Uh, doing some squats one day, he gets a phone call. He comes over to the phone like, I told you, Hogan, you don't interrupt me when I'm doing squats. You know, I'm training, you know, he just... Uh, he just all serious about his training to where he's a gym bully, basically, yeah. uh, on on the female customer or gym uh, patron or whatever, and patron, and then also taking Hogan's call like, I'm tired of his fucking goof calling me during my training. You know what I'm saying? That's pretty much what he tells Hogan. Yeah. You know, you're bothering my chest routine. You're bothering my squat routine. Don't, don't mess with me, Hogan, you know. Yeah. I don't have time for you, brother. I'm going to be getting my body together, yeah, you know, so and, and, and get his mind together. Yeah, and Mr. Wonderful didn't skip leg day either, so, you know. No, for damn sure. But he was getting his mind together, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. But uh, somewhere along the line, skip forward a couple years, uh, Mr. Wonderful wasn't feeling so wonderful because he looks up and says, 
Gary Spivey, Gary Spivey, the the Psychic Friends Network. <laughs> he's doubting himself. He's untying his boots. He's like, I used to be the number one wrestler in the world, in the world, and I'm not so sure anymore. And and uh, what are you doing here? And he goes, you know, um, uh, Gary Spivey touches his head, and he goes, I can sense it. I know these things. I'm a psychic. <laughs> oh God. Oh First man, off. tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> I know there's something you liked about. Him. Oh my god. Somebody explain Gary Spivey's goddamn hair to me, please. I'd, there you go. I knew he was going to bring the hair out. It's like somebody spray painted a Chia Pet white. I don't know what yes. was going on with that. And it looks like some dark up underneath there. Like you can see some, uh, maybe some dirt they were growing it off of. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, it just. You know, it, looked like, it looked like Christmas tree flocking, you know? That, yeah. That spray you put on. That causes <laughs> yeah. cancer, you know. <laughs> oh shit, man! Uh, the uh, you know the um, once upon a time in Hollywood, and mm-hmm. uh, Cliff Cliff's in a car, and he's dropping uh, Rick Dalton off at the at the lot for a shoot that day. He goes, "Hey, you're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't forget it." It gets to the point that basically Spivey has to tell him, "You're Mister Fucking Wonderful. Don't you forget it." You know. Yeah. So. It got his confidence back. It took a psychic from the friend psychic network to get his his uh, mind right. But um, hey, it is what it is, man. You know, he, he was still Mister Wonderful at the end of the day. Here's the thing: I didn't get why wouldn't you get like a Tony Robbins or <laughs> like like uh, one of those? Well, Dion Warwick was did it during that time, wasn't it? Friends of the psychic network or something, something like that. But why would you get a yeah. psychic when you're trying to like put a dude on like a positive spin? You'd get like a celebrity <laughs> motivational speaker or something. No, yeah, yeah. Chia head the first over here. <laughs> you know, goddamn charlatan. I don't know. Probably, I, I'm imagining has has taken a lot of money from grieving families over the course of his career and probably should be in that? prison. But no, let's put him on probably. TV. Put him on TV with Paul Orndorff. <laughs> and take take some money from the wrestlers uh, at Turner, and let's pay him some fucking money. He's a celebrity. Yeah. You know, like, come on, man. That cost people jobs, I bet. Oh, I bet it did. <laughs> I, and and so, somebody yeah. was patting himself on the back for that hire. They're like, Yeah, and then right, once again. Gary Spivey. Yeah, and, and once again, as as Dave knows wrestling, and you and myself discussed a few weeks ago, how the fuck do they stay in business in spite of themselves? You know, and like really? pulling tricks like that. Uh, oh. I don't know vignettes like that or stunts like that, whatever you want to say. That's pretty good, man. You ready to move on to number five? Because you um, brought this up last week. Yes, I'm gonna let you bring it up again, and uh, uh, maybe on Monday or Tuesday. I don't know when it was. Yeah, it had to be Tuesday, I guess. My brother listened to the episode. Uh, like I said, we traveled a little bit this weekend. And in the car ride, he's like, man, you got to remember. Because I told him what the top was going to be. He said, you know, hey, he, he I'm going to let you give it away. Oh, but sure. I said, yeah, you know, Jeremy brought that up, man. Because your brother reminds you of it. Yep. So, number five, you know what I really like about uh, Paul Orndorff here? What's that? He is a real American, Bobby. Just like his entrance music. <laughs> yes, he said. is. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's born in Virginia, raised in Tampa, Bradenton, outside Tampa. Um, you know, he probably will get more American than that. Both of them are a little bit rural, actually. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, he always had that kind of subtle, southern gentile to him when he spoke, too. Just make sure you show up at the promo, That's you know. Right. Don't skip that. But, uh, yeah, so he stowed Hogan's music for like six months, right? Yes. Uh, I don't remember the exact <laughs> length of time, but I know it was like during yeah, their yeah. program, which I've for some reason I want to say it lasted like half a year. 
Um, yeah, yeah, in yeah. pro wrestling, and, and I don't know, maybe you have something to add to this, but like stealing somebody's finishing move or their entrance, these things are all seen as like these these huge, like the the fans see them as these like shocking betrayals. Yeah, um, that's heat, man. That's yeah. heat. You don't do that. Yeah, and so you know, Orndorff starts using Hogan's entrance music, and and this just drove people freaking bananas. Yeah. And, uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, I, you know, it's stuff like this that I think probably made me like cheering for the heels just because he was like, not not only did he spit in your face, but then he like rubbed it in too, you know? <laughs> he kind of like pie-palmed you and then like just like you know, <laughs> stooched your face, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I got you. Yeah, and so I mean, he, you know, we'll get into get into more of what we what he did to Hogan later, but he Shanghai insult the injury there. Yeah, he Shanghai's yeah. him, and then he does this, and, and, and all the while, you know, and, and Paul yeah. Orndorff had a pretty poker face when he did stuff, but but oh yeah, yeah, you got Bobby Heenan behind him with this big shit eating grin. <laughs> <you know? laughs> oh man, and um. You know, about that, uh, him being so serious, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. the uh, and, and taking his music stuff, it's, it's almost like you say, you spit in his face, but it's also like, I dare you to come and get it. You know, like, yeah. I'm a challenger. I'm the challenger. But Hogan is almost, I won't say he's backpedaling because he's the baby face. Right. But he, he it's, a, it's a serious threat. This heel is a serious threat. You know, he's done something embarrassing uh, to me. Um, or it has embarrassed me to this degree that Hogan is, is has to come after the challenger. Yes. But from my understanding, I could be wrong. I think that was um, maybe one of Hogan's biggest moneymakers was his run with Paul Orndorff. Um, you'd have to go back and look through that. But I think when Hogan, of all the people he had to run with, I think it might be Macho Man. I don't know. I'm just saying I think Orndorff was one of the higher grossing ones, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah, because when um, you think about it, that would have been WrestleMania 1 and 2. It would have been one or two Saturday night's main events as well. Yeah. Um, and it went on for a while. I mean, I, I bet you I bet you it paid off pretty well, you know. Yeah. How many times did they get to work Madison Square Garden, you yeah. know, on a – so I don't know. I, oh, I would yeah, imagine. I think, I think they did every match like a handful of times too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. That that whole six months run, it wasn't just like once a week. It was a you know several times throughout the week and yeah. and, and ran with it. You know, but um, so I, uh, not to bury anyone, I just had this thought here. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that was a huge money maker. I saw something Rip Rogers post that we're talking about Hogan real briefly. Yeah. Hogan had the 24 inch pythons. But he used a leg drop for a finish. Think about it. <laughs> I don't know, but he's got the big arms, right? Yeah. But he used his leg for the finish. I just thought they, that's Rip being Rip. Pretty funny. But uh, Orndorff and Hogan, both of them, these big bodies. Hogan's out there, you know, trying to show off those 24-inch arms. Orndorff wasn't fucking too far behind him. No. And both of them doing a rare, real American, knowing he copped the song from him. I can see where a lot of people's like, man, why am I really cheering for this guy in the red and yellow with the big, you know, uh, scarlet hairdo? You know, um, I might start liking this other handsome, intense, well built, bad motherfucker right there. You know, some people probably switched right there, like yourself. Well, I did. I mean, just I was, saying, I, I jumped ship. Um, you know, uh, 
<laughs> we should probably keep moving forward so we can talk about a few. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm trying not to bite my tongue. That's why okay, I'm number four. <laughs> I looked down and I was like, how close are you, Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, so number four, uh, the Ernie Ladd feud. Let's just jump to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, at some point after after Florida and Memphis, uh, Orndorff ended up in Mid-South. Mm-hmm. And they had him, I mean, you know, they put him pretty quickly into a program with uh, Ernie Ladd. And I think that's that's guaranteed stardom down in the South, right? Yeah, I think so. It, uh, instantly getting you over, man. And having that, you know, mind of Ernie Ladd uh, booking. Not sure he was booking at this point, but knowing that he's he's leaning towards that part of his career and bringing in young talent that um, you know Eddie Graham and and Matt Sud and him had a hand in training, um, and we'll go we're kind of re- do this reverse. I think the only place he may have been was Memphis, but but we'll come back to that um, and say, hey, we got this guy, we want to send you, and um, you know take a good look at him. And when they saw him and saw his work. Hey, we're injecting him into a program right away. We we don't have time to fuck around with this guy. He's serious. Uh, he's got a great build. He can speak. Uh, legit athlete. Put him in a program, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and Ernie Ladd is a good one to fucking listen from. You know, as a heel, a, a baby face, a good baby face, if you'll listen to a heel in a ring, because a heel is the general of the ring, of the match, rather, and he'll guide that baby face around. Now, he'll take his bumps when it's appropriate to take his bumps, but if that baby face listens to the heel, and he's a veteran heel, or a grizzled fucking veteran heel even better, um, you'll, you will learn how to be a good heel. And obviously, Paul Orndorff learned to be a good heel. Boy, now, I'm not saying it was all Ernie Ladd. I'm just saying he had someone early on in his career to listen to night after night, probably getting his ass beat uh, down, you know, because a heel should be relentless is what I'm going with that. I don't mean like literally getting his ass uh, beaten, beaten, but getting it taken to the shed every night going, hey, this is when you do this. This is when you do that. No, you're not coming back right now. And then give him something else, you know. Uh, so you got him in there being a general. You're listening. And I imagine Orndorff listened. Um, most successful people do, you know. Uh, he had to listen to his coaches in football and wrestling in high school, as well as through the pro ranks. I imagine he listened to Artie Ladd quite a bit and tried to make his matches the best because uh, he knew it was a business and he knew he could make money in this business. I imagine uh, he learned a good deal about being a heel uh, through this uh, program with Ernie Ladd. Just, just, just my guess. So, oh, yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, so, I mean, for me, you know, I, I put the Ernie Ladd in there just because it looks, as I look at the timing, it looks like mm-hmm. that was the first thing they did to really get Paul Orndorff to start to get over in that uh, part of the NWA. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, yeah. The, you know, NWA titles in it. Right. Um, you know, he did he did hold a couple tag team titles down there and, you know, a few other programs. I guess at one point, um, Kim Mantell was uh, going to have a match against uh, Paul Orndorff for, uh, the, I don't know, like the Mid-South title or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And the story is that Paul Orndorff, quote-unquote, overslept. And I'm just thinking, okay. who, who looks at Paul Orndorff and thinks, oh, yeah, there's a guy who oversleeps? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. Never yeah. heard that, but... Um 
who knows in the wrestling business, just saying. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Let's go back a step. Ernie, um, after the Ernie Ladd, before the Ernie Ladd feud, uh, Jerry Lawler, um, uh, down at the uh, Memphis, what's called the Memphis Territory. I think, and you can correct us out there, uh, fact check us if you want and let us know. Um, you can find me at Bobby Blaze 744. You can find Jeremy at the Geekish Cast, or you can hit us up at the Bell to Bell Blaze um, on Twitter. But uh, I think he, I think he left Florida. May have done the islands, may have done a couple of little things here and there, but I think he went to uh, Memphis for a couple months. I'm not sure how long he was there for, um, and got to work with Lawler and that crew and learn, you know, learn that style of wrestling because they really were just brawlers, you know, up here. Yeah. So he can go from being a wrestler in Florida to now he's learning this brawling style, um, and uh, showing his moves and showing his physique because there weren't a lot of big, huge bodies here. Some of some of the guys had nice bodies, but not to the, the degree that you know when a when when Paul Warndorf or Rick Rude came in, the bodies were changing. You know, in in the Memphis territory. Yeah. But uh, the thing here you brought up, um, I think Jeremy's quite the expert here, and I think I like his theory quite a bit. Uh, Jerry Lawler done a pile driver. And his pile driver caused cancer. Mm-hmm. Correct, Jeremy? That is correct. With that said, maybe this is where Paul Orndorff picked up the pile driver. Okay? Maybe he picked it up from Lawler or saw it, you know, said, hey, that's one devastating move. And on top of delivering the pile driver, which is the most devastating move in professional wrestling to me, has been banned and barred from sea to shining sea. Just saying... Paul Orndorff was strong enough when he picked the guy up, he could do the jumping pile driver to make it even more devastating. Um, and I think uh, word around a campfire was when he did his program with Hogan that Hogan could relax enough that he knew Orndorff was strong enough to pick him up and put him in a pile driver um, without hurting him. You know, yeah. killed him night after night. Looked like it, but he didn't. He took care of him. <laughs> well, and Hogan uh, was, man, Hogan was like three hundred and fifteen pounds or something. Yeah, three twenty, I think, something like that yeah. at that point. But uh, and and a few inches taller back then before yeah. Paul Orndorff pile driver got a hold well, of him. That's, that's good. I think he went from six seven to like six three, you know. But uh, yeah, so we're just getting an idea here, a good vibe that maybe he saw the pile driver delivered from Jerry to King Lawler, and uh, hey, uh, I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna do it my way and put this little jump into it. And man, oh man, was that pile driver a sight beautiful? If you love professional wrestling, the way it should be, back when guys are doing. Good moves on each other. We're not actually going out there fucking throwing frying pans or anything. It's not the concession stand brawl fight here. It's just, hey, no fucking big high spots. I'm just going to fucking pile drive your head through the canvas. And someone's walking away to winter. You believed that Paul Orndorff was going to walk away to winter. Yeah. So, well, that, that um, I, I love your theory. Yeah. Now, if I, I, I know one. I, I can guarantee one of our listeners knows for a fact. And please let us know. Uh, yes, but this happened, Bobby, while we were just we were going over our notes before the show. And I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, I wonder if and you're like, you know what? That's that's an interesting question. Yes. So we, we don't know for sure, but it seems to fit timeline wise. And it makes us wonder. Yes. maybe this is where this comes from. Um, yeah, that I think someone in Mid-South will know that, like you said. Yeah. So but that number two, driver, that pile driver was a killer. 
Yeah. Um, what'd you put? I could not think of anyone who had a more devastating looking pile driver than Paul Orndorff. And I think you're correct. And that's our number two. We kind of tied number three and uh, no, number two. Yeah, three and two together. Yeah. The law flew to the powder. So let us know if you know. That'd be interesting. Uh, and I'll tell you what. I don't think we're too far off on that, Jeremy. No, I, I think we're real close on it. Without actually looking into it and just kind of going off of a gut feeling, it seems yeah. like it should be right, you know? Yeah. Okay, boom, 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 boom. There's no yes. fucking free birth rule today. Nope, but yeah. Uh, Jeremy. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, okay, my bad, my before, bad. Before yeah, we do on. that, Bobby, do you remember what me and Dennis Condry have in common? You both have a Lincoln Continental, and it don't float on air. So let's sell some books. <laughs> we need some gasoline, people. If I'm going to get to Beckley, West Virginia, I need some trans money. That's right. I've got books, Professor. I've got two of them. If you would like to get a copy of my book over on Amazon, you can get a copy of Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boost, Will Travel. All you have to do is hit tinyurl dot com slash blaze book one and a professor has that set up it'll take you right to the site you can order the book and it'll be at your home uh, in about two days folks that's how long it takes you to get there i don't know about overseas it may take another you know 24 to 48 hours just saying uh but my second book i kicked out on two the educational wrestler if you will go to tinyurl.com slash blaze book two it will take you to the educational i kicked out on two the educational wrestler now what happens when you use this site i get to sell a book i get to smile i'm happy about that but also the program jeremy's set us up a little affiliate account it does give a little bit of kickback going through those sites tinyrl.com slash blazebook1, tinyrl.com slash blazebook2. The program gets a little small kickback, and we're hoping to keep this going. Uh, our little grassroots program here that we could put some more money into our advertising. And, um, you know, we're getting more on the website. The professor's working on something now. We've already got some fillers out on some things. All that's going to tie in together. Uh, and the best way you can do that is sponsoring this show by purchasing one of my books. And again, um, it's Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots for Travel. It's tinyrail.com slash blazebook1. Or the education, I kicked out on two, the education wrestler, tinyrail.com slash blazebook2. Thank you very much, folks. Yes. Leave a fair and honest review on this program, whether you listen on uh, your iPhone, whether you listen on your computer, whether you're going through uh, Spotify, whether you're using Apple iTunes, uh, however Stitcher, however you're listening to us, leave us a fair and honest review. And that's all I ask the same on my books, too. A fair and honest review. Yep. And remember, Bobby and Jeremy suck is not a review. That's right. That's your opinion. Yeah. We might. We might, but that's okay. Has uh, that's not a review. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Jeremy. Yes, sir. We went around the, we went around the tree here, mm-hmm. went up and down the road, went around the world to fucking, uh, you know, wander watch or something like that. I don't know. That's but right. number one, why does Jeremy cheer, cheer for heels and why is Paul Warndorf so over? Tell me why. Well, because when he turned heel on Hogan. Was mm-hmm. the moment I began cheering for heels. There you go. That Defining was- moment. Yeah. Um, it seems like the more people we speak to, 
especially sadly with the recent passing of of Paul Orndorff, rest in peace. It seems a lot of people their 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 uh, posts have come across on social media. That's when. I started uh, cheering for heels. That's when I really started paying more attention to professional wrestling is when Paul Orndorff turned on Hulk Hogan. That um, that was a defining moment, and a lot of um, younger wrestling fans, uh, uh, fanage, if you will, or what have you, mm-hmm. uh, and also like, oh, I don't have to cheer for the good guy. I'm uh, I'm gonna cheer for the real American, but it's gonna be Mr. Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful, you know. So that's a defining moment in a lot of people's wrestling uh, memory, man. Oh yeah, heel turn. Um, I, I I'm trying to remember. I don't know if I'd ever seen that a high pro. I mean, obviously you see heel turns almost hourly in pro wrestling, but I don't know if I'd ever seen one that high profile. Yeah, because <laughs> you had the two um, biggest heels at the time. They were part of the the Heenan family. You got Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy. Mm-hmm. Whipping the living shit out of the American hero Hulk Hogan, and Paul Orndorff can barely get to him to save his ass, and Hogan's def- you know broken, <laughs> spindled, and mutilated in the middle of the ring, and Paul Orndorff raises his arm triumphantly, and then short arm clotheslines his ass in the next week. Bam. Mm-hmm. You know what that might be? What's that? That might be the heel lockup into the pile driver. Oh that's the heel lockup. <laughs> that's the heel lockup right there. Spun him around, clotheslined him, then pile drove him. <laughs> oh, at least we now we know. Now we now know. We There's know. the heel lockup. Yeah. He raised his hand, spun him around, clotheslined him. Heel lockup. That go home. That really looks like a move the crusher would teach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna tell you. Hey, this has been a great episode. Uh, I, we got a few more things to talk about. We're good, but I'll tell you. I hope everyone enjoyed us going back to our top ten format. We've got several other podcasts, you know, in the future. Ideas. There are going to be some top tens. We're going to do a uh, remember back when we got a couple years we're to pick out, and also I think we'll revisit uh, our Hall of Fame, our second class maybe in the next couple of months. So we got some good stuff lined up, Professor. The 100% so. legitimate and official Hall of Fame. Oh, that's right. Yes. That's right. You are correct, sir. Yes. All right. What else we got to do? Anything? Uh, you know what? If everybody gets a moment or if somebody gets a moment, go over to bell2bellblaze.com, our new website. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, that's it for me. Bob. I'm going to throw something out there. Yeah. If anyone out there would like to contribute to our website, uh, anything wrestling knowledge-wise, maybe write a little article for us, oh, or a little yeah. piece. If you're interested, um, hit us up. You know, hit Jeremy up at the Geek Cast or at the Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter or me at Bobby Blaze 744 uh, Maybe you could be a, a guest columnist or um, just for future reference people, just putting this out there, um, you may also get to be, uh, there's a way you can register as a guest. So if you're interested in being on the Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze podcast, there's a form you can fill out. Um on that website and we may consider uh we've had some guests here in the past if you all have noticed we've had some pretty good ratings on a couple of the guests um we appreciate them being a part of our uh wrestling podcast family 
But um, there's a way you might be able to be on here or either or have your piece that you, if you're a writer, showcased. Um, we'd appreciate that. So anyone out there looking to do that, that's one kind of throw out there, Jeremy. Yeah, so they actually, can go to the uh, belttobell.com or belttobellblaze.com. Yeah, I'll sorry. give them a direct one, belttobellblaze.com slash guests slash okay. intake. Got it. Okay. belttobellblaze.com slash guest slash intake. That's guests, plural, with an S at the end. S, gotcha. Okay. My bad. Okay. No problem. I'll, I'll Good deal. I'll put a short one for that in the future here, but... We've got, All a, right. we've got a nice functional website that um, I'm not really taking full advantage of yet that I still look at and go, oh, I didn't know we had that capability. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting there, my man. We've been consistent again. Yes. And um, we're getting a lot of positive feedback. We're starting to get our flow back, man. And um, yes, hey, indeed. thanks for tuning in this week, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages around the world. We appreciate it. Jeremy, I'm going to say with that, man, be good to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Well, be be good to yourself. Be kind to others. Or as you like to say, don't be a dick. Um, just have a good week. And thanks for tuning in. Yeah, that's right. Don't be a dick. Now, <laughs> for the late Tex Johnson, myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B Bobby Blaze, bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>